Thank you for joining us for this episode. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Chris Putnam, and we're going to be speaking about life in the military on the OI show. Hey, friends, this is Dave Keating. Before we get into the show, I wanted to thank Team for supporting the podcast. If you're not aware, Team is a virtual staffing and agency which helps connect virtual teams to your practice. I don't know about you, but I had a harder and harder time finding people to come in and join me in the in-office staff. And so over the last two years, we've found 10 virtual people to become part of our team. They do things like answer the phone, they help with billing insurance, they check for documentation before it comes in, they scribe in the exam room, they can order contact lenses, and the list goes on. We've been able to work with several agencies over the years, but we have found that team has been the most effective at ensuring that our virtual employees get paid, stay on time, and that we're following up with them and making sure that they're great agency for these people. If you are ever interested in considering a virtual employee into your office, I'd love to chat with you. But also, I wanted to let you know that Team is offering a $250 discount when you first sign up with them. Check out HireTeam.com, H-I-R-E-T-E-E-M.com for a $250 discount or see the show notes below for a link that will get you to the website. Thanks to team for supporting the OI show. And thanks to you for being a listener. Thank you for joining us today. I'm joined by uh, a reconnected good friend, uh, Dr. Chris Putnam. Chris, it's awesome to have you, my man. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, quite a reconnection indeed. Um, I know we saw each other a few times in uh, pro school. And then, of course, I met you as the guy that used to run us off the sidewalks in undergrad on your motorbike. So, yeah, it's been a long time. How have you been? Good, good, good. So, so yeah, Chris and I went to undergrad together and we didn't know each other at all. But he apparently remembers me as being this cursed guy who rode a motorbike all over the campus. And then we reconnected and we connected in optometry school and went on an eye care mission trip and uh, uh, Moldova, right? It was, it was Moldova. And I think we actually did our um, Pacific senior thesis together. That's right. Yeah. On the, uh, the, the, the demographics of refractive air in the nation of Moldova. Right? Yeah, so I think it was a longitudinal refractive air study. And I think I still have the CD-ROM. It was like, in case Dave kicks the bucket is written on it in Sharpie. So I have that floating around somewhere. I, I'm too terrified to throw it away. I don't even know it's on anymore. I don't have a, I don't have a computer that reads CD-ROMs anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you and uh, we graduated, and uh, I had no idea you weren't you weren't in the military when you were in optometry school. When did you make that decision? Well, in fact, I um, did join the reserves in optometry school, so both Air Force, Navy, and um, Army. So I am currently active duty Air Force. They have what's called a health profession scholarship program. And what mm-hmm. that entails is they will pay for four, three, two, down to one year. Um, essentially, if you will give them at least three years of active duty service. So okay. uh, when we were still in school, uh, 9-11 had just occurred. And so I uh, went to the local recruiting station in January of 2002. And I went to seek out an army scholarship. So this is kind of a, a unique story. I think I'm the only one 
in the optometry field that was ever turned down from joining the army to be an optometrist. So for all of my uh, brethren out there that have ever gone to MEPS, the military entrance processing station, you go down, you stand in your underwear all day and you have to go through a, a complete physical. And I was diagnosed with flat feet. So because I had flat feet, the army's like, no, thank you, son. Thank you for your interest, but not for us. And as I was leaving the MEP station, my recruiter uh, happened to pass by an Air Force recruiter and overheard us talking. The Air Force recruiter said, hey, you ever thought of the Air Force? I'm like, I haven't until now. So suddenly two <laughs> weeks later, same MEP station, same physical, same docs. Welcome to the Air Force, son. So, oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I actually tried to get in the military while I was in optometry school, but had as have asthma, had yep. asthma. Yep. But, sorry, your refractive abilities are no good with us because of your asthma. So, understood. No, I, I also got turned down from every branch of the military, <laughs> but it didn't even take a MEPS. I, I didn't even have to stand in my yep. underwear. They, did, they didn't want me in, in any capacity. So that's a, that's really interesting. And so in the choice of going into the military, you you joined after your first year then, right? Would that be around for, well, it would have, the middle yeah, of first Yeah, so year? I would have sought it out my first year, and then I essentially was accepted my second year. So that way it paid for my third and fourth year. So um, for those... And then you had to give them three years. Give them three years repayment. So okay. um, you do your um, officer training at Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama in the middle of the summer. So that's a real treat. Um, but it's really not too bad. It's more of a head game. Anyone that's ever been in marching band, played sports, done theater, it's it's a head game. And you know uh -huh. it's going to stink, but everyone around you also thinks it stinks. So there's solidarity in the uh, group suffering. So yeah. it's not bad. You know, you, you build some lifetime bonds from that. And then uh, right after that have been 2005, right after graduation in May of 2005, you spend six weeks in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. And then I went to Lackland Air Force Base here in San Antonio, Texas. And that was where I served my first three years. And at the end of three years, your commitment is up and they say, hey, if you'd like to get out, you certainly can. But we've got a deal for you. Would you like to complete a residency in um, primary care slash ocular disease? Weird combo, I know. So I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. So it's accredited through the University of Houston uh, College of Optometry. And you do it at Wilford Hall Ophthalmology Clinic. So essentially, you do your one-year residency training with the first and second uh, year ophthalmology residents. So okay, okay. The so trick there is so, you do. Oh, go ahead. So, so you you got out of school. You had two years of optometry school paid for. Yep. Like, what kind of salary does somebody get during that time period? Is that somewhat competitive to what you would have got on on the open market, or is it like really nothing because they're also paying for your optometry school? Yeah, it's it's a little bit tricky. So essentially, your so the way I looked at it financially was in school you're having those two years paid for, but it also does give you a stipend for a monthly expenses. And then for two weeks each year, you're technically on active duty because you're in reserve status. But in reserve status, you have to serve two weeks on an active duty status. Right. Um, so you will go to a military installation somewhere near you and uh, mm -hmm. just essentially serve for those two weeks. And then um, at the end of that, when you graduate, you are commissioned as a second lieutenant. And upon graduation day, you find another local recruiting station and a officer to uh, swear you in. And now you're a captain or an O3 in the Air Force. And then at that okay. point, um, you are paid as an O3 going forward. 
Um, I will say the other thing that's not necessarily, I think, brought to the table as often is there is a professional pay that is uh, given by the Air Force. So uh, your specialty dictates what your monthly pro pay is and then board certification. So board certification can be, um, you know, the American Board of Optometry can be ACMO. It can even be a fellowship in the American Academy of Ophthalmology. And that's also called your board certification pay. So if you add all of those together, it's it's on the low end of competitive. I will be honest about that. It's on the low end of competitive. Uh-huh. Uh, and is that so so you're also getting a stipend for your housing, right? In in while you're in the military. And do, when you say you're paid, does that include all those other benefits that go along with it? Are you kind of are you saying, yeah, it's still pretty low? It does. And it does increase. So I would say if you're going to break it into segments, so I'm 18 years in right now, your first five years, you're going to be slightly underpaid according to like the national median. Your next, say, five or six to 10 years, you're going to be right approaching about median. But once you reach about 12 years, as long as you promote up the chain. So if you make 04, that brings you more in line with a national median. And if you make 05, that will bring you to just above the national median. And if you can carry that on, um, I think some of the financial benefits that are so are not necessarily discussed as much as a big portion of your pay, about 30% of your pay is tax-free because it's considered basic allowance for sustenance and basic allowance for housing. And so you get a base pay and then those two BAH and BAS are not taxable. So if you count the tax savings on that, it, it does add up. So in in yes, yeah. aggregate, it actually is not so far off. I think what terrifies people is when they go into Google and type in military pay and it brings up this table, that's just base pay. And you look at base pay, you're like, oh my God, I can't pay my student loans on this. Hold on a minute. That's just one portion of it. You're missing BAH, BAS, pro pay, and board certification pay. And then right. there are retention bonuses that you can receive every three to four years. So. Right, right. So, uh, so from a pay perspective, because uh, there's a lot of other things I want to talk about, sure, but sure. from a pay perspective, you can make 30% lower than other people, but the, the taxes kind of bring you up into somewhat of a, a, an area. You're certainly not grossly underpaid being in the military. And if you get out in a couple of years, you may have just got optometry school paid for, got paid uh, to do some things. And then if you stay in as long as you are, then you're Something. also going to be getting some retirement, right? That's been built in and put into that, right? Yeah, if so, you make the yeah, if you make the 20 year point, that's considered full retirement age. So as long as yeah. you get 20 years of active duty, um, the reserves and the guard use a point system, and that point system is a little bit more complicated because it's built on drill weekends, sure. deployments, and how long you've actually been on active duty. But from a straight, easy math, active duty 20 years, it is a um a defined benefit pension after that. And that's really for the remainder of your life. So once you cross a certain threshold, it's tough to ignore that. And the closer yeah. you get to that magical 20, it's a financial mistake to walk away. Yeah. Interestingly, um, you know, side note, my cousin, Christopher, is oh. also right around 18 years, 19 years, somewhere in there. And the two of you are going to be getting out around the same time. And then you just this retirement that you get paid on for the rest of your life is just uh, something that can't be ignored when it comes to compensation within the military. And I, I think we take care of military people well in that area. Absolutely. And I think the one last thing, and I don't want to dominate with just financial talk, but 
Um, about five years ago, they made a change to the retirement system as well, meaning um, if you can now elect to do what's called a blended retirement system. So when you enter, you get a matching 401k effectively. So the governmental 401k is called thrift savings plan. And so the TSP is essentially a um, an index. So you can choose, you know, intermediates, um, small, large caps, government bonds, or you can choose mm-hmm. like a life cycle that based on your retirement, but you get a matching 3% up to 3%. So okay. um, that's for those that, because vast majority of folks that join the military don't spend a full 20 years. They're out at yeah. four or six years, depending on their contract. And this was a way to entice people to join, but not yeah. leave them empty handed and walk away with nothing. Right. Else. So right, yeah. the TSP is actually not bad. You can type that into Google yeah. as well. And Thrift Savings Plan, its rate of return is, is fairly competitive with your Vanguard's, sure. T-Rows, Fidelities. So. Yeah, if it's an index fund. So you uh, you made this decision. Uh, when, when you got in um, right away, did you just think you were going to do three years? And then was the thought, you know, I'm going to get out after that. And then, and then oh. they lured you back in with this residency. And then what oh. did you have to give them after the residency? Um, essentially it's for every year of commitment, you have to give two. So with a one-year residency, you give two years of commitment. So, so I did my three and then I did my residency and then the two years of commitment, five, six. And at this point they sent me to Scott air force base in, um, uh, right outside of St. Louis, Missouri. And so, um, I had never really thought about it until I went to, uh, Scott air force base, but my uh, consultant called me. I was like, you know, have you ever thought of doing the PhD program? I'm like, I didn't know there was such a thing. They're like, sure, you do a PhD in vision science. And I think UMSL's right across the river. And I'm like, never thought about it. So I uh, took the GRE and did okay. And uh, qualified to not only get uh, AFIT funding for another degree, but you also then as a PhD student, it's an accelerated program, but you spend three years basically as a civilian student, just going to the university. Your job is to go to school and Somewhere along the line, that became like the best time of my life. Like I would do that again over and over. I found more enjoyment and more just professional fulfillment in those three years than, and this is no offense to anyone I've ever served with, but those three years were the best three years of my profession. So I just have to take a step back here. So you're getting paid as an optometrist in the military to go and do a PhD program where most PhDs are just getting by on little stipends here or there. They're not getting paid an exorbitant amount of money. So from, from the perspective of if you had done this as a civilian, financially, at the end of your PhD, you're far further ahead than somebody who had done a residency, had done a, a PhD, and you're getting paid the whole time. Now, you still have a commitment to the military. Sure. Sure. Uh, now, because of that three years, you've got to give them six, six. So okay. that one adds up. So now <laughs> did the, we went up to six and I did three. So that's nine. And suddenly I owe them six and I'm at 15 years before I can walk away without writing <laughs> Uncle Sam a check. So at 15 years, you're like, well, the brass ring is so close. Spot what else more. am I doing with my life? Uh-huh. Um, and so once you spend enough time in the military, interestingly, for the rank um, promotion and so forth, you stop being a clinician um, to yeah. be competitive with your peers to make major, which is 05 and lieutenant colonel or major is 04, lieutenant colonel is 05. You need to step away from being a clinician and you spend a little bit more time as flight command or squadron command or a project manager. And it, it, it's it's tough because if you love being a clinician, 
you, you have to make that choice. Do I want to maintain my clinical acumen and be a master clinician, but take the risk that I'm not as competitive in a promotion board? Or you step away a little bit and uh, take on more of a leadership or officership role in the Air Force. Okay. That does okay. become kind of a, a bifurcation. You have to make that choice. Yeah, yeah. So you went and did your PhD in visual science, and I, I know this, but tell everybody where you kind of focused in on and really dug into. And was that was that a choice for you? Could you have become like, you know, an expert on Demodex or something, right? Right, right. Oh, no, that's a great, uh, great question. So um, I chose to go to University of Missouri, St. Louis, uh, number one, because it was proximity. But when I got a chance to interview, I'd also interviewed at uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, um, also interviewed at OSU and also at Indiana University. And so um, UMSL was just a great fit. I worked, uh, my graduate advisor with Dr. Carl Bassey. So if you have any UMSL grads out there, I'm sure they know Dr. Bassey. Um, mm-hmm. But during that time, it's an accelerated program. So you take about a year and a half of didactic courses. So you're doing biostatistics, you know, quant analysis, you take um, like biologic behavior or biologic basis of behavior with the neuroscience and the uh, industrial organizational psychologist. So you work in the other departments, but during that time, you're also getting input from your career field. So other PhDs that are uh, 42Es, which is what Tom just are in the Air Force. So other OD PhDs in the Air Force are looking to bring you into their lab. And so um, there's a number of PhDs out there so one has worked on um, essentially circadian entrainments and IPRGCs. Uh, another one works with the NCAA Care, Care Consortium for um, TBI management and rehabilitation and recognition. Um, another one has done dry eye work in microbead assays. Uh, another one has done really high-level vision work with like dicoptic kind of backward masking principles. So you're right. kind of biopic and not binocular. So it depends on what lab you want to go to. And as an Air Force optometrist, the two that you're likely going to go to is here in San Antonio, which is a bioeffects division, or up in Wright-Patterson, which is a human performance wing. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. I opted to lean more towards the bioeffects. And so my uh, dissertation emphasis was on uh, macular pigment um, and measuring spatial distribution and its uh, correlation and contributions to spatial um, and the spatial changes of contrast sensitivity, glare disability, and um, kind of glare or forward masking or forward scatter masking. So uh, the big challenge is, is depending on who your graduate advisor is, some of them really believe in the um, figure it out for yourself. You know, they'll they'll be there so they'll understand and they'll listen. But at the end of the day, they don't care. It's your problem to solve. So if you uh, (laughs) don't like being autonomous and you don't like having some late nights and, uh, you know, one of those like rage and scream at the sky, like, why did I do this to myself? You got to tread lightly into that as well, because that can be it can be a very cathartic experience to go through that and and figure it out on your own. But um, Dr. Bassey and the UMSL um, staff was very, very helpful in all of that. And so also doing it at an optometry school where most of the PhDs are offered, you get to work with the students. And I think that's where I really developed a passion uh, working with the uh, first, second, third year students in their physical and geometric optics labs. So um, once I finished up the dissertation, brought it back to the bioeffects division where we do a lot of uh, directed energy, like protection, 
um, and uh, kind of retinal imaging and biomarker detection in the case of a uh, laser injury. So had a lot right. of interesting times, got to work with a lot of smart people. Um, I will say it is difficult being the dumbest guy in the room, but I mastered that art after three years at the division. So it's it's great to be around incredibly smart people that are thinking about these things all the time. Yeah, us two South Dakota boys are pretty good about being <laughs> the dumbest in the room. I, I, I have to yep. say, at least for me, I know that. So, you know, you you did all of this. And you think about this from the perspective of, you know, that we, well, we got to have these really smart PhDs that are doing this intensive research in the military, especially, you know, thinking about Air Force with all of the, you know, protection of the help for these people who are flying $100 million uh, airplanes and, you know, all the support people that are part of that. But um, you were also sharing with me that your life has not just been in a lab, right? You have, you, you have had some clinician, some clinical aspects. So tell us about your deployments and how that has worked into this life in the military for you. Yeah, so that would be also something that I did neglect to bring up. If you like to deploy and see faraway lands um, that are so very unlike your hometown, the military might be for you. Um, I've had eight deployments all told. Um, a lot of them have been um, medical readiness training exercises or humanitarian efforts. So I've had a chance to see uh, five continents and 12 countries. Um, Hold most on a sec. So, so, so systematically take us through that sure. from a timeline perspective. So sure. graduate, do your, uh, your residency, sure. your PhD, like tell us like where or along the lines did you go and when was that? Absolutely. So, um, showed up at, uh, San Antonio at Lackland Air Force Base in 2005, uh, 2006 was my very first, uh, humanitarian. We worked with the Department of State, and we were sent to Bogota, Colombia, to provide uh, humanitarian health care. And the very unique thing about most of these uh, missions trips is you will go as a multidisciplinary team. So you'll have pediatrics, dental, primary care, and optometry. And a lot of times, optometry will also act as like an advon or an advanced team for the most, which is the mobile ophthalmic surgery team. And mm -hmm. that becomes really a, a big challenge because you know that so many would benefit from just, a, I hate to say routine, but a very straightforward, you know, FACO cataract procedure. But you also have to be cognizant of the fact that the very advanced ones have higher complication rates and longer recovery rates. And that most team is not going to be on the ground for more than, say, 14 to 18 days. So you almost have to be judicious in choosing the ones that will benefit but they're not so greatly advanced that there's a higher risk of right. poor outcomes. So it that was my first foray. That was only a uh, year and a half out of school. And so that became a real challenge to figure yeah. out what the surgical preferences were. Now, um, is this so, kind of like going on an eye care mission trip, except you've got tons of resources to you? You do. You do. Yep. Yeah. So you will go down there and usually it'll be uh, one optometrist and usually two technicians. Um, and you will bring a library of glasses. And so the optometry travels heavy. We just do. I mean, there's no there's no easy way to do it. I mean, you could try to bring an edger down there, but now you've got risk of no power. The edger breaks, something goes sideways. Now you got nothing. You got lens blanks and nobody wants. So we always uh, traveled with a full library and we would usually work with uh, local universities or local lions clubs. And they were very, very good. And I mean, BCGs, the birth control glasses that everybody speaks so fondly of. Yeah, there is no shortage of unwanted um, military issue glasses in the Air Force. We have 
thousands of those bad boys every single week. So every every missions trip, if you ever go to a country and you see military issue glasses on someone, you know that the Air Force, the Army, or the Navy has been there at some point. Wow, cool. So that was Bo- that was Bogota. Yep, that was Bogota, and then two thousand and. Let's see, 2007 was Arctic Care. And so Arctic Care is not necessarily humanitarian because we are in U.S. territory. So that's called a medical readiness training exercise. So there you fly into Bethel, Alaska, and you work with the uh, local I, National I, Guard. I did my fourth year at Bethel. Nice. Yeah, and Bethel's yeah. not a bad place. The clinic there is actually quite nice. Yeah. Um, and so if you're one of the unlucky ones, you don't stay in Bethel. You get on a uh, an HH-60, which is a Black Hawk helicopter, with a smaller team and all of your gear, and you fly out to a remote village. Uh, we flew to Point Hope, which is in the Aleutian chain. Mm-hmm. Um, not not a not a great two weeks to spend because when you get to that location, you get off the helo, they shove all your stuff out there, and they're like, "We'll see you here in two weeks," and then they fly away. And as you look around, it's just barren white, and you're like. Anybody know where they're going? And so you just wait there until a snow machine rolls up and they put you on the snow machine and make multiple trips because they only got one or two. So, yeah, it's it's an adventure. But the, wow. the local populace is something uh, quite remarkable. I mean, very resilient. They love playing basketball because usually like the epicenter in that environment is the school, which doubles as um, the library, which doubles community as like center, the community yeah. rec center. And so we would play basketball until two or three in the morning because everybody wanted to play, you know, the the Air Force kids. So, yeah, we would play lots of ball. And it was a small gym. So it was almost like the three point arcs nearly touched. So you were shooting half pointers <laughs> or half quarters just because it was the only place you could. And they were quick, so fast, so fast. So, yeah, it, it was fun. Oh, um, I digress. Awesome. But yeah, so that was 2006 was Bogota. 2007 was Arctic Care. 2008 was um, El Salvador. So that was more of a Colombia type mission. That one was different because that was strictly Department of Defense and Bogota was Department of State. So Department of State, you wear your civilian clothes, you don't identify as military and you travel as a Department of State, uh, like attache almost. Mm-hmm. So that was in military um, in El Salvador in the summer pretty toasty so that wasn't Mm -hmm. that wasn't super but that's just how it goes um and so that was seven and then i'll try to quickly go through them um went to haiti in 2010 after the earthquake so that was a really rough one that's probably one of the worst ones i've been on because that was that was devastation that was flattened there was nothing there was no infrastructure water purification electrical grids all gone so you could work as long as your batteries would hold so you would bring six handles and that's all you could do because there's there's nothing. Your BIO would run out of juice at one and there's a line of 400 people out there, but there's not a thing you can do. So, wow. Yeah. So yeah. And then going forward, just a um, couple overseas. So um, Australia, um, LUD, so Doha, Qatar. Qatar. Um, let's see where else we've been. UK. I know that's not really a deployment. <laughs> it's not, not a bad place to be. Uh, uh-huh. Italy and turkey and that's about you tell me you were in iraq or afghanistan as well no that one i did not so i had orders and prepped and i was ready to go and uh they said thank you for your interest in national defense but uh we've already got somebody here because that's traditionally an army billet like an army um, so they were missing someone so then they were going to bring an air force guy but they had already filled the spot 
by the time it was time to go. So where were you, where you were doing trauma care for people that were, you know, coming off of the battlefield? Yeah. And so that one would have been, um, 2021. So we were in LUD outside of uh, Doha, Qatar, oh, and that yeah. was the um, HKIA or the Afghanistan uh, withdrawal. So that was mm-hmm. a really interesting one because as the, um, as Bagram and as HKIA, that's Hamad Karzai International Airport, essentially just gave way, they were using C-17s to evacuate as many people as possible. And the closest uh, airport or country that would take the Afghan, essentially refugees, was uh, Qatar. So we okay. had 67,000 Qatar uh, in Qatar, but they could not leave the airfield because they had no visas to be in Qatar. Yeah, Qatar. So they had to stay on the runway. So we had to some, found some way to house them. And then in August, about six weeks after the evacuation started, um, there was an explosion at HKIA, and all of the U.S. military members were evac'd immediately, but they were brought straight to Launch Duel and one of our level one trauma centers there. But mm. all of the Afghans did not have that luxury, and they brought them to us. So that became mm. um, about a one-week span where I took out more uh, foreign bodies, uh, metallic and masonry-based foreign bodies, than I've taken out of yeah. my entire career in a single wow. week, and so much of it. There were blast injuries and essentially, um, you know, iris. Essentially, there were avulsions all over the place. There was missing lids. You had almost complete decompensation of some globes. I mean, there was there was nothing you could do. So we didn't have mm-hmm. ophthalmology or surgical on the ground. So we had to do our best to you try to back them did. out and get wow. them get them where you could. So good thing you did that residency, man. Yeah, it was good. I learned how to put on a fox shield. It was fantastic. It worked out really good. <laughs> wow. Buddy, you know, what a career, what an adventure, yeah, right? Who good. who would think that this is the career, right? That somebody from uh, South Dakota State University going into optometry and sure. man, what an incredible adventure you've had in the military. You know, from, from my perspective, there's goods and there's bad about Absolutely. everything that's Absolutely. out there, but it's been an adventure, right? Struggle on the family side. I sure. know you have family sure. and you've got to be away from them and so forth, but Wow, thank you for your service. And yeah, uh, you know, certainly you've given for our country and you've uh, you've done a lot in that arena and uh, what a what a cool thing. What what would you say, you know, to somebody who's uh, in optometry school right now thinking about the military, uh, what 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 should they what questions they should they be asking themselves? Um the first question they should ask is what are the directions to the nearest Air Force medical recruiter? So go Air Force. <laughs> the other service is not worth your time. So absolutely just kidding. But Air Force, um, I would say if you are in optometry school um, and you are still uncertain about what you'd like to do, or if you're still some, somewhat undecided whether you want to go private practice, go corporate, you're, you're still not quite sure, take a very close look at the uh, United States Air Force. Because I will say one of the other roles I've been able to take on is um, I'm the point of contact for our residency, which is a, a VA-based residency in uh, neurooptometric and neuro rehab. So we have um, one residency slot available every single year, and that does have the two-year payback, but it allows you to earn a residency certificate from an accredited program, and it will give you experience that you will probably see nowhere else. And 
as you right. mentioned uh, during my PhD time, you'll be the highest paid resident in the nation because you are on active duty service during that time. So your pay does not change. You are the highest paid resident in all of the nation. So something to wow. think about. And, awesome. uh, we also do the PhD. So the PhD, you can choose the university you want to work with. And we've recently stood up a, um, a sports vision fellowship. So more of a human performance fellowship that we're morphing into a, a two-year master's of science degree at University Incarnate Word, Rosenberg School of Optometry. Yeah, We've now had three graduates, and that's been a, a real big thing um, from the standpoint that uh, I think we lacked a lot of standardization in the kind of sports vision, yeah. vision performance realm. And so we've been able to work with Special Warfare in town and uh, Synaptic and some of the other device manufacturers. And I think there's been a lot of goodness because the military is a repository for data. I mean, we can trade and take so much data off of such large sample sizes that it's almost unprecedented. So bottom line, if you are interested yeah. in the United States Air Force or any branch of service, and you're not quite sure what your next choices are, talk to a recruiter. You owe them nothing unless you take money. So if you want to explore <laughs> options, if you want to look at different avenues, there's also what's called direct accession. So you don't have to take the scholarship. You can wait until graduation and then do a direct accession, at which point you are eligible for a loan repayment program. That's not a guarantee, but most years it is available and it's up to $40,000 paid to you for additional two years of service. And so oh, wow. that's not a bad yeah. deal to kind of trim off a little fat from your uh, student loans. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. hey, thank thank you for sharing uh, about your uh, about your career. Very fascinating and uh, it's spectacular. And thank you for your service. Yes, thank you so much. If there's ever a chance to uh, meet up again, I hope we run into each other at a future conference. I always yeah. love love hanging out with Dave Katie. So. Yeah, yeah, thanks, buddy, and thank you for joining us for this episode. Make sure to like and subscribe. Stay tuned for future episodes of the OI Show. Thanks again, friends, for joining us for this episode. Again, thanks to team for their support of this episode. If you're considering or have ever considered getting a virtual team member for your practice, check out HireTeam.com. That's H-I-R-E-T-E-E-M.com. Mention the OI show when signing up or hit the link below for a $250 discount off of your first month's team member. Thank you.